So we're in our series, Less is More. This series is focusing on six core areas of the Christian life. We really wanted to boil it down. All the things you could be doing or could be thinking about, all the things you could be cramming into your heads or into your life, we set all those things aside. Less is more. What are the six things that we ought to be focusing on? So we started a few weeks back with biblical knowledge. Uh, knowing God's Word, understanding Scripture, and by understanding Scripture, knowing God and ourselves better. Then we went on to growing in the spiritual practices that Jesus has taught us, to obey Jesus, and we focused on what? Sabbath rest? Did you enjoy that extra hour of sleep? You're welcome. There you go. So you have an extra hour of Sabbath rest there. Then serving in stewardship, promoting a lifestyle of of using our our God-given gifts in a God-honoring way. And and when we do that, when we use our God-honoring gifts in a God-honoring way, what happens? We produce spiritual fruit. The Spirit works through us, and and fruit happens. And then this morning, our focus here, developing skills to help others grow in their relationship with God. Next week, enjoying worship. And finally, Pastor Frank will end the series in two weeks, flourishing in fellowship. So these are the the six core areas. We've boiled it down to the six areas that we want to really focus on in our discipleship efforts of becoming more like Jesus. And I've boiled these core areas down. If you're taking notes, just their most practical application this way. Write this down. Number one, know God's word. Number two, obey Jesus. Number three, walk by the Spirit. And today's call to action, number four, apply the gospel. Apply the gospel. Applying the gospel is simply living a way that the gospel of Jesus Christ impacts every area of your life. Now, what have I said every week of the series? The Christian life is simple, but it's not easy. So that's pretty simple. Oh, every area of my life? Roger that. How does that work out? In our scripture today, which is a turning point in the book of Hebrews. This is a, a hinge moment. If you're, if you're studying God's word, if you're in the book of Hebrews, if you have your own copy of the Bible, circle chapter 10, because this is a turning point in the whole argument, the whole discourse of the author of the book of Hebrews. He's taken 10 chapters to lay out the magnificent realities of the gospel that he's expounded upon. And now he's t- ready to apply them to your life. So he's, he's explained it, he's opened it up, he's given us this big vision of all that, that God is for us, and now it's going to be applied. In other words, he, he takes theology and then shows it how it works out in the real world. He shows how to apply the gospel. And so we're going to see here under bulletin, you see three uh, subheadings, uh, draw near. I'm going to say hold fast, because who can say unswervingly? I don't even know, can you even say that three times fast? So cross that out, right? So it's draw near, hold fast, that's the ESV version, easier, and consider how. So last week we had spiritual fruit, and this week we get our veggies. We have three heads of lettuce. Gosh, Ed, you got, that didn't work either. Didn't work the first time, didn't work the second time. Lettuce, lettuce draw near, thank you, Morgan. Courtesy laugh, courtesy laugh. Let us draw near, let us hold fast, let us consider how, okay? The author of Hebrews has carefully crafted 10 chapters of gospel 
realities, uh, the, the state of things that actually exists. That's what reality means, it's how things actually are in the real world. And he does that by showing us that Jesus is better than Moses, that Jesus is better than his brother Aaron, that Jesus is better than all the prophets, that Jesus is better than all the priests to boot in the Old Testament. And I think, well, wait, Pastor Pete, you're talking about realities, and now you're talking about all this Old Testament stuff. Understanding of our faith, the understanding of the Hebrew Scriptures and the New Testament is all that history stuff is reality, is what's really real. And he's laying that out in this beautiful picture that Jesus is the better, he's the best sacrifice of a better and best covenant. Chapter after chapter of gospel, you could say realities, you could say gospel truth, that Jesus is the very best that Jesus changes everything, which is one of my all-time favorite quotes. I have that on our Facebook page. Jesus, his gospel changes everything. Look at verse 19. Therefore, in, in view of all this beautiful on display gospel reality, all the stuff that we've heard for 10 chapters, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, Open for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God. The first word I want you to underline is therefore. This is the turning point. After 10 chapters of Jesus being better than, than the best, now he's going to drive it home to what end? To one word. Confidence. Underline that word. He wants us to have confidence in the significance of who Christ is and what he's done, and what he's doing. He wants to drive it home that Jesus is the only mediator. He's the only way to heaven, and then he's going to apply it. Now, confidence to what? To enter in. Raise your hand if you ever saw, what's that show, The Price is Right? Bob Parker would throw it over to Rob Roddy, and what would Rob say? He'd call your name out. He'd say, Todd Goldsmith, come on down. You are on the prices right. And Todd would come running down. <laughs> to what end? To, to win some CDs and a CD player? The author of Hebrews is saying, come on down. In confidence. The way is made clear. If through his death, and resurrection draw near to God. Now look at the language here. Notice this. Enter the most holy place, the, the curtain, the great high priest over, over the house of God. What's going on here? There's, a, there's an illusion here. Remember, this is written to primarily uh, people of a Jewish ancestry, but also to Gentiles, but they would get this immediately. They would know what he's writing about. The inner chamber of Israel's tabernacle was the holy of holies. Only the high priest was permitted to approach God's very presence in that place, to go through a four-inch thick curtain to enter God's, God's place. And all the people would just wait and cower and wonder what's going to happen. Yet now, the gospel reality is all who have been redeemed by Christ, the high priest, we follow him right in. The curtain's been pulled back right this way. Come on down. 
for he has made that opportunity possible for the world. Set aside nationality and blood. No, now it's for peoples of all tribes and nations and tongues everywhere. Believe on Christ and come. And what does he say of it? How does he describe it? Does he say it's old and fuddy-duddy? No, he says it's new and it's living. He says, by holding to the confession of faith that you've put in Christ, what you have said that you believe by faith, he says, come in to the throne room by my invitation. That's massive. The Hebrews, Hebrews was written here to, to discouraged Christians. Maybe you feel discouraged. These people were feeling utterly discouraged in their faith. They're given a vivid invitation connects with things that they grew up with, the understanding of the dots are being connected to help them realize a real sense of personal relationship with God, not just dried out dead religion, but a living, vivid relationship with Christ. Friends, your whole relationship with Jesus, your whole new life, if you put your faith into Christ, is based on the person and work of Jesus. So we gotta get that right. We gotta think about it talk about it, encourage it with one another, and apply it. Everything's wrapped up in him. Who he is, what he came to do, what in fact he accomplished and finished. The whole of the Christian life is based on Jesus' person and work. All of this for encouragement, for confidence. What's the opposite of confidence? What's the opposite Distrust? Do you know anyone who feels distrustful at the church? I'm not sure about dropping my kids off at that place. I don't know what you guys are going to do to them. Skepticism? Do you know any skeptics in your family? Maybe you're a skeptic. I don't know this whole religious thing. I've got questions. Who has the answers? The opposite of confidence is doubt and fear. Now, under the old covenant... Believers were required to offer a sacrifice to God. But in this passage, we're reminded that that if we follow Jesus, if we believed on him, we believe in the promises of the gospel, if we trust in him, knowing the gospel and applying, now we do not offer a sacrifice. Well, sort of we do, don't we? And we don't pick up pigeons and goats and all that kind of stuff anymore. Dead sacrifices, what do we do? We offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. Sacrifice. Romans 12, 1 and 2, the hinge point of, of Romans. What does Paul say? In view of God's mercy, right? 11 chapters of gospel truth. And chapter 12, in light of all that, here's how we're going to apply. In view of God's mercy, offer what? Some sheep and goat. No, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. So this is what it means to, to, to know God's word, obey Jesus, Walk in the Spirit, and now apply it. Now, the Old Testament saints were were saved in the same way we are saved today. People miss this, so I want you to, to catch this. Old Testament saints were saved in the same way we're saved today, by faith through grace. That's how you get saved. From the very beginning till now, until kingdom come, that's how a person's saved. But in the Old Testament, you were also required to bring a sacrifice. In order to be in in good fellowship 
one had to offer a sacrifice. But now the, Hebrew, the writer of Hebrews is saying, Christian, that was once the duty. Now your duty is not to offer any more sacrifices because it's all been completed in Christ. Quote, by his, what, blood, this new way has been opened through his body. Body and blood. This is a massive shift in understanding of God's plan of salvation. There was no question about faith and, and grace and trusting. That's what Abraham showed the people of Israel that they had to do. But this understanding that all the sacrifices were done and complete was massive. It was a move from religious anxiety to relational confidence. You can have confidence to fellowship with God, to experience his presence. There's no longer the need to practice having priests that come along and they enter into this holy place once a year because we know the high priest by name and he knows us. We have seven children right here. I'm so proud of you guys that went through the class last week to learn about communion. They're going to celebrate these young brothers and sisters are going to celebrate Holy Communion with us for the first time this morning. I'm going to invite them up. They're going to come and be around the table. This is just a little instruction so you know what's going to happen. They're going to be around the table. When I give the words of institution, I'm going to break the bread and pour the cup. And I'm going to serve them. I'm going to call them by their, by their true title now. As beloved children of God, I'm going to call them brother and sister. As we celebrate the gospel realities that we're invited to this table to draw near because Jesus is the Passover lamb. The author of Hebrews says, quote, Jesus is the only sacrifice that is, that is offered to cover all of our sin. And even though I believe that, even though I, I believe that, that, that he's paid it all, he's done it all, and I've been walking with Jesus for 30 years. I mean, I... I've studied scripture and, and theology and all that, and I've been a pastor for a long time, 25 years. But still sometimes when I sin, when I do what I know I shouldn't do, or I leave undone what I know I should have done, there are those moments where I think, I've got to do something to get right with the Lord. I mean, beyond beyond repentance, just turning to the Lord. That's what we're called to. But there's just a sense, am I alone in this? There's just a sense that I'm not sure I've, I'm, I've done enough for you, Lord. Do I need at that moment? I need to be reminded of the gospel. I, I need y'all in my life to remind me. We sing about it. We pray about it. We, we read scripture together. Oh, that's right. Oh, Jesus paid it all. He's done it all for me. That God has offered all the sacrifice needed that you might come and enjoy communion and fellowship with him through his son. If anyone here feels like that, anyone here in this room feels that they've committed some sin that separates them from God, and I'm not a mind reader, and I'm not a, uh, uh, you know, a vision caster, and I can't read your minds, but I've been at this for a long time, and I imagine a room this big with this many people, there's at least one of us here who thinks, if they only knew what I've done, I wouldn't be welcomed here. So if that's you today, you've committed some sin and you think God will never forgive me, he'll never accept me, listen to this. God loves you and God accepts you. 
God is more, listen, write this down if you're taking notes. God is more willing to forgive you of your sin than you are to repent of it. God is more willing to forgive you of your sin than you're willing to just put words to it and repent of it. You must have faith in him and in Jesus and you must repent of your sin, but God is ready for you. I just want to tell you that this morning. Someone here in this, in this room is afraid of rejection. Perfect love casts out fear. It casts it out. That God will reject you and drive you away in fear, that's not of Jesus. If you turn to Jesus, there is no fear. Perfect love drives out fear. Jesus has done everything to forgive you. Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. That's the gospel message. And now, the author of Hebrews, after laying that out, says, okay, how does it apply to our life? Here it is, three ways to encourage us. Number one, verse 22, because of Jesus, because of all this great gospel truth and hope, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance that faith brings and so forth. Look look at this. There's, There's more allusions here. Do you notice it says, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed in pure water. What's going on? What's going on? More allusions to the Old Testament. There's, there's more allusions to Exodus here. It's, it's drawing people into the story, just as the children were drawn into understanding of, of a Seder meal last week. They were drawn into the, the drama, and that's what the author here is doing. He's, he's alluding to the book of Exodus. So we have a picture of the tabernacle, and, and here, with these words drawn near, we have an allusion to what? To Mount Sinai. What did the Lord God do? He sent Moses as a mediator. He sent him to Pharaoh, who said, he said to Pharaoh, let my people go. And what was the reason God wanted his people to be let go? What did he want them to do? He said, call them out to the desert to worship me. They need to come out. If, Mo- if Pharaoh had said, fine, they can have a three-day furlough, who knows where we'd be today? That's really what Moses asked for. Give them a three-day furlough. They need to go. They need, they need to worship God. We'll see what happens after that. So it's like an open negotiation, I guess. They're out in the desert, and they arrive by foot at Mount Sinai. And what does the Lord God say to Moses to say to the people? Do not get too close. Do not set a foot on this mountain. He wanted them to come and worship, and he said, but don't get too close, Exodus 19. And now the author of Hebrews says in verse 22, because of the finished work of Christ, God wants you to draw near. Mind blown. Draw near in full assurance. That means no hesitation, just absolutely no hesitation. You, when you have a little child like this and you say, come, just run to me. If you're a mom or a dad, it doesn't matter what's happening. What's that child going to do? It says there's a street, there's cars. What are they going to do? Come, what are they going to do? Well, I'm not sure. No, they just start running, don't they? No hesitation. That's the call of faith. Now, a moment ago, I said some words that hopefully were encouraging to those of us that are struggling in our faith, but to those of us who are pretty settled and feeling pretty safe and secure, and if you're thinking, you know, I don't really have time to know God's word more, to obey Jesus, the whole Sabbath thing, it's fine, but are you kidding me? 
But the king of the universe has given you the privilege of coming near. We're made of dust. We're worm food. And he makes us new. And he says, draw near. And we think, well, I'll see if I can fit it in my schedule. Are you kidding me, Christian? Friends, the king has ordered us to draw near. Now, that's a swift kick in the you-know-what, but I need to hear it too for myself, okay? Now, there's a second application. Look at verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly. Let us, let us hold fast. Let us hold fast to the hope we profess. Uh, ho- hope, hold on to hope, he's saying. Hold on to the promises. All the promises in Christ are yes. Hold on to them. Simply, if you're taking notes, that great journey song, Don't Stop Believing. That's what he's saying there. Now, for us living here in Maple Valley or this region, being a Christian is relatively easy, isn't it? I mean, let's be honest. But that's not true worldwide. This week in Pakistan, the high court incredibly overturned a death sentence of a Christian woman convicted in 2010 of blasphemy in a case that's polarized the nation. Her name is Azia Bibi. In my former church, one of my elders, Arun Dada, Dr. Arun, uh, is a Pakistani Christian, has lived here for 30 years. He reminded us to pray for her. Voice of the Martyrs has reminded us to be praying for her since 2010 because a sentence for blasphemy against the prophet Muhammad was to be hanged. That's what I'm talking about, about being easy to be a Christian here. I mean, can you imagine? She said that this is all over a dispute with neighbors. Can you imagine you have a dispute with your neighbors over who's raking the leaves and then you get sent to court? convicted and put on death row because maybe you said something that they didn't like? Praise God, she's free. She didn't stop believing. We, the church, did not stop believing and praying for her release. And the author of Hebrews is saying, in light of what Jesus has done, hold on, don't stop believing. And I love what it says. Look at the end of verse 23. For he who promised is faithful. That's our motivation. Why should we keep believing? Why should we keep on keeping on? Because the one whose promise is faithful. Because Jesus is faithful. Gospel application. Draw near, hold fast, and third, consider how. Verse 24. Let us consider how. And now there's three little subpoints. Spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as we see the day approaching. Now, now notice if you're taking notes, the first two encouragements are pretty individualistic, aren't they? It's sort of between you and God. And and now there's a, a corporate, there's a there's a community aspect to this with all these uh, phrases here that have to do with one another. There's a community aspect. So our series is titled Less is More. I mean, about all the stuff you can cram in your head, less is more. Why don't we just focus on knowing God's word more? Well, all the different things that we could be pulled to do and people telling us how to live and do this and buy that. And, uh, how about we just focus on what's most important, obeying Jesus and so forth. And here we have the core value of developing skills necessary to help others grow in their relationship with God. And it needs to be an intentional decision on your part of the people that you are investing in. How many of you are writing holiday cards this, this year? No? A, few, a lot less than usual, right? 
It's exhausting, isn't it? All those cards, and like, I don't even remember this, who this person is. Why are we sending them a card? And first class stamps are so expensive, and then you're tongue dyed out from licking all those stamps and the envelopes, and like, there's just so, there's only so many people. I mean, I have like a thousand friends on Facebook. Sorry if you're watching this. Yeah, you're my friend. I don't know a thousand people. No. I'm still working on your names. What's up, Joe? What if we're intentional about the investment of our time and energy in in saying, you know, I really want to hear this message of applying the gospel by helping others in their faith? So, you know, this is the church that I'm called to. I'm not going to church shop anymore. I'm going to be here for a season. You know, and within this church, there are home groups or there are other types of groups that you can get involved in, to really invest in, to serve in. And, you know, even within that, you know, maybe there's just Two people. Maybe we could meet for coffee a couple times. So that's the kind of intentionality that we need to invest in one another as a church. Because I can't, I can't minister to all of you. Because in the expensive seats up there, I love you, but I can't, I can't get from here to there fast enough. So here's the question: How are we intentionally, intentionally helping one another in our faith? We're told right here, what's the first thing we're to do? <laughs> to spur one another on to love and good deeds. Do you know what a spur is? Does anyone know what a spur is? It's like a pokey thing you, like cowboys wear on their shoes and like, like stick it in the side of the horse to get it to go. It's, okay, is that what we're supposed to do? <laughs> Poke each other to love and good deeds? <laughs> well, it says it in the Bible, so I guess so. I, I think it means to be highly involved. So someone comes in next Sunday, and you seek them out, and you say, hey, how's your knee doing? You remember that? I mentioned that last week. Yeah, yeah, I just, I've been praying for him, and curious, how, how's, how's it going? Hey, you, would you like to join us? We're going to go, and we're, we're going to um, collect some food and bring it back to the food bank. We are? Yeah, come on, it'll be fun. See, the motivation is, is love and encouragement. It's not, sh- you should do this, or you should do that, but it's, it is a bit of a poking. It's a bit of a, of a oh, oh, okay. I guess if we're going to do this together, yeah. Second, look at what it says. Do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Let's make that the positive. Urge one another to love and good deeds and committing yourselves to worship. And you're all here this morning, so good on you. You're doing it. You realize our church, like the summer, was crazy packed in one service? If we all came, even maybe once more a month, there would just be no room here at all. People are busy and people are traveling. So let's make this into the positive. Let's encourage one another not to give up worshiping as some were in the habit of doing. You know, there's, a, there's an amazing thing I've seen over the years in ministry. It's true here. Uh, and Sarah Goodell, where's Sarah? Is she here? There she is. And Cammy was in the first. Where's Sean? This is our, our amazing team. Where's Sean? She, there she is. She's way up there. Look at her. Wave, Sean. This is our incredible team that uh, oversees our children's ministry led by Sarah and Cami and Sean. And they've told me, Pastor Pete, the place is growing. A couple years ago, there was a, maybe like 60 kids in Sunday school, then 80. Now we're, we're close to 100 kids. Do you know, what, you know what happens? When kids get a taste of fellowship and they hear the simple message of the gospel, 
They want to come to church. So James and Michelle Nelson, right, they're watching on this. This is true, James. You know it. He would say, this is a, a man that I discipled for three years, and now he's leading a Bible study back in, in Maryland. He said we would never go to church regularly, ever, if it wasn't for Emma and Jack, their kids. Because Emma and Jack went to VBS, and they said, church is fun. And they would poke their mom and dad. Well, that was, that's where the poking was. They'd poke them on Sunday morning. Come on, I want to go to church. It's going to be so much fun. And James would say, very honestly, I did not want to go to church. I wanted to stay in my jammies. But reluctantly, they came. And now he and Michelle are amazing leaders in that church. And third, verse 25, encourage one another. One of the best ways you can help someone else in your church, in our church, grow in their faith is by encouraging them. Just be encouraging. And I said to just say some encouraging words with no expectation of getting anything in return. Now, usually when you get good service, you go to a restaurant, eh, you're going to pay that person a tip. So even that, like, are you having a night? How's your day today? You're checking out Fred Meyer. Did you find everything you need? I'm saying to myself, no, but do you really care? Just keep <laughs> checking me out. Thank you for your service. That's not the true church. Just an encouraging word. A word of, of glad to see you. Nice to see you. Look at the last phrase, and this is such an amazing thing. It closes out this way, quote, and all the more as you see what? The day drawing near. The day with a capital D. There's all kinds of cries out there that the world is coming to an end. Sorry, kids, it's, it's, it's happening. People say that, that there are wars and rumors of wars that come Wednesday morning after this election, depending on who wins, the world's going to fall apart, right? And that's what the TV says. I'm clicking channels like, cannot get away. There's like, you're between a rock and a hard place. It doesn't matter who's going to win on Tuesday because everything's falling apart. And he says, encourage one another. As the end draws near. Why? How can you say that? Because we're one day closer to Jesus returning. That's why. Hallelujah. Yay, praise the Lord. We're one day closer to him coming. The day's drawing near. Encourage one another. You know, things are going terrible. Yeah, but Jesus is coming. Three ways to apply the gospel. Drawing near, holding fast, considering how. Notice all three. Do you see the dot, dot, dot on your outline? Three of the cardinal virtues. The cardinal virtues. Look that up. Faith, hope, and love. 1 Corinthians 13. Notice that? Interesting. Hmm. I don't know who the author of Hebrews was, but maybe he got his hands on 1 Corinthians 13. I don't know. Flowing out of what Jesus has done for you. Not just for you, for the world. By his gospel. Absolutely life-changing. But first, you need to know God's word. Then you need to obey Jesus. You need to walk by the Spirit. And then you need to apply the gospel. Simple. Not easy. May God do his work of grace in us to make it so.